Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast where my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter. And I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining. But we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should be taken as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun. And now without further ado, on to the episode. We sold the bond short. It's all done. I know. How's it feel? How has it been shorting US bonds? I think we're shorting the wrong country's bonds, by the way. <laughs> I don't feel too bad because I actually looked for European bonds and I look for other countries. Like I, I try. I know. I, we, you know. I, yeah, I remember being like, hey, the UK seems a bit worse off. Can we short their bonds? And we couldn't. Yeah, their inflation. So, their inflation's worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but basically, we sold our trade. We decided yep. that, you know, like enough was enough and the kind of like risk reward or probabilities didn't seem in our favor anymore. So we cleared the thing and then it proceeded to go down a little bit more and I'm like, oh, we're so smart. Yeah. And then it proceeded to go up a lot. Yeah. And <laughs> How did that feel for you? <laughs> well, let, to be clear, we sold... At about three point three, yep, percent on the thirty year, which yield. which was about one hundred and ten dollars or something for TLT, um, and the whole trade was about a six x, so we made about six times our money off, you know, twelve percent of our portfolio. That's about what the numbers are. Yeah, in about eight seven to eight months. Yeah. Yeah. So, why, so that's pretty good. Why We're on happy earth with would that. we be? You know, <laughs> very happy with that. Yeah. But obviously. Selling out 3.3 in like July, August. And um, this week it went to 3.8. 3.8% and TLT was almost down to 100. Yeah. So if we'd held the position and we had the options expiring. So I don't feel too bad about... No, that's right. And our decision. Like, I guess it is hard because we, we were so... We had so much conviction kind mm-hmm. of the first six months yep. and um, we weren't really wavering too much. We weren't even thinking of selling. Um, we, we even added to it and we actually even put a new position on that was Around there. June? Yeah. Yeah. That, and I guess it was just that period there where the Fed wobbled a bit and, um, yeah. and we knew inflation was going to be coming down for the next few months. So with a wobbly Fed already and... Inflation looking like it's going away at least. Yeah. Um, we just figured time to cash in. Because ultimately the Fed, you know, the way we've like observed them to work is they make noises first. They make a few comments here and there and then their comments increase and then their kind of message evolves slowly. So them saying things like, yeah, we're really concerned about the economy. You know, it's looking really weak and... You know, we may be at neutral... We, we may be. We might be able to slow down soon. Yeah. 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 And that combined with the fact that we had, instead of having twelve percent of our portfolio in something, we had sixty percent of our portfolio in something. Exactly. You know, um, yeah, made it very hard to sort of maintain that logical conviction. But but we both kind of had emotional conviction you we had did, more, you, yeah. you had more conviction to hold an idea because i was like look oh, i wasn't even considering it and um but that would have that was kind of me putting my head in the sand to be honest i just wanted to hold on to the thing you think yeah you think so i don't know i, I think there was there was good arguments both ways honestly. well i was more so like really qt is just beginning mm-hmm. you know we're only one month in but i think that first month of qt didn't really do anything and I was just like, I know they're, they're ramping, up. ramping it up. So, but still, I, I would have thought it would have done something. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. so that, no, we both agreed it was logical to sell. And we still look back on that decision, even now with yields at three point, back to 3.6 or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, we still look at it and it's, yeah, we did the logical thing at the time. That's all you can do. Definitely. Just gotta make the best choice that you can at the time with the information that you have. And that's the hard thing about investing is that you might 
make a choice and then it turns out to be the wrong choice, you know, or the right choice. But to me, the right choice is just the choice that makes the most sense with the information that you have at the time. Yeah. So that's all you can do. Um, but yeah, we still we still maintain like a small position, you know, in the uh, 3X yes. TMB ETF. Yeah, so we're um, still, it's still, um, we still got a tiny bond short, I guess. Yeah, a little bond short, a <laughs> little baby one. So. But yeah, yeah it, it is excruciating, obviously, being like <laughs> what that would have been worth at, with the spike this week. Yeah, it's true. Crazy. But, but, but that's, that's, that's reality. The reality yeah. is, you know, if we'd held it, you know, we'd be looking at not being up like 30%. I think we're up for the year now. We would be up 60 or 70% for the year based on current pricing so that's pretty significant um but yeah like i said i think any investor could see our reasoning while we decided to pull out yeah but um yeah so this episode is a bit different because we asked twitter for questions and i was like hey everyone you know got any questions for us and um the the funny thing about the questions i was going to say is that um they basically cover everything that we wanted to talk about so i'm not sure we got like 15 questions pretty yeah. much and um we yeah, got like 300 followers so we got 15 questions it's pretty cool that's a good... <laughs> i feel like we know every single one of i know um the people on twitter it's like yeah i'm really i'm really close with that bot that's like a <laughs> you know frog character or something you know um but yeah so questions Questions. Take, okay. Take it away, my lovely wife. So the first one is from Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, you got an update on the waterproofing business from season two, episode one. Yeah. I think this is interesting and very cool. So do we, Henry. So do we. I think it's very cool. Um, yeah, it's really, it's getting really fun now, isn't it? The business. Yes. Like it's past the stage where we're having to do um, a lot of physical work and actually like, get involved a lot and it's more about us like monitoring and sort of guiding guiding yeah and it's kind of past the proof of concept stage too yeah um so it's getting serious i guess <laughs> it's getting serious and so we've gone from having one person um, working for us to having yeah two full-time people and a part-time person as well and yeah, I would just say that the what we have now is kind of like a little, what looks like a little financial module. So we have one car, we have a set of tools, we have two and a half employees, um, and that's like a little business unit, I would say. And we're starting to produce quite good numbers off that business unit, and to the point where I feel like I can start to see what the what a larger business might look like financially, which is really exciting to mm-hmm. see that. And to see, like, actually, this many assets are generating this much profit, and that's a good, a good ratio. Um, we've only had like, well, I would say three months, two months maybe, of solid, fully trained up employees and solid work and working efficiently. Um, but yeah, it's looking good, and we're enjoying it. And there's been no disasters, so yeah, it's working. Everyone's happy. Um, we had like a little annual meeting and did an annual report for it. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's going well for anyone who doesn't know. It's basically like a construction business. You know, the actual business itself, we just fix people's leaks and we do something called waterproofing, which is, um, whenever someone renovates their bathroom, they have to like put a special coating down, um, to make sure that any water that goes in doesn't like leak out. Um, and you know, surprise, surprise when people are deciding, to use for their you know waterproofer they go with the company that's looking really professional which is kind of what we're all going for the whole time mm. like we always thought that if you're going to be renovating your bathroom and spending thirty thousand dollars you know do you spend 500 or do you spend a little more than that to actually get someone to you know do that special job um, that guarantees you won't leak so so far that's working working well and yeah, the main point is that we don't have any issues with the work itself so yeah it's going well yeah it's a cool little concept it's working 
Um, and it's nice to be to have this separate to our portfolio mm. as well because at times they kind of hedge each other. <laughs> mm. Definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, the one thing I was going to say is that the business is now at the point where it's becoming so reliable and so consistent that we can look at the business and we can look at our investments and we can start to move money around between the two mm. and to actually make investments in the business that have a good return as well as investments in our portfolio that we're excited about. Like you can, you can never beat the liquidity of your portfolio being able to sell you know, positions and move them around. But the business investments are like quite high returning investments. Like whether that be training someone, whether that be buying vehicles or good tools or investing in like good advertising, like they seem to actually return good percentages so that's what it's about right that's just well yeah, yeah we could potentially see better returns if we invest our money in our business as opposed to anywhere in the market right now mm. so exactly but uh yeah that's the business oh good next question next question uh i and mick anything you two have on your radar i recall cannabis was a market you wrote a bit about yeah cannabis um, probably the biggest thing that I would say we're spending the most time on apart from the business is just learning a lot about the dirty oil. Oil. Yeah. Um, I wonder how I first got interested in that and how that started. I mean, there obviously is a lot of stuff on Twitter about energy. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think when the gas, um, spiked in price and Russia started playing games with the with Europe, mm-hmm. with the with the gas, um, we did a lot of research about Russia and everything, and then that's led to us learning a lot about energy markets and commodities, um, and then learning about OPEC and the oil markets and you know how much oil we use and all those mm. questions. And basically, the thing about you know making commodities investments or investments in the price of commodities, the weird thing about the price is the price of a commodity is not the same at all as the price of a bond. So even though both of those things move, you know, every day they might change in price, um, the reality is that the price of a 30-year bond is definitely a lot to do with what's going to happen over the next 30 years, whereas the price of a commodity is kind of the balance between supply and demand. That's the thing about it. It's the balance between supply and demand. And as you can look at the, you look at the price of oil, for example, in COVID, did that crash because of trading? Well, probably partially, but it also crashed because demand crashed. So you have something basically in the commodity market that forces the price to move, um, which is really kind of interesting in the sense that if you're trying to invest in this like, the way the world is now, where it's pretty dangerous and there's a lot of weird stuff going on, it doesn't really feel like a very safe time to be making like buy and hold stock investments. Um, but looking at these like commodities and being able to use options and other futures and stuff to benefit off the moves, um, it kind of feels a bit safer, I think. And that's why I like learning about oil has led us to kind of feel like there's a big, big supply demand imbalance building because there's been a lot of weird stuff going on. And we also, I guess, gravitate towards situations with catalysts clear catalyst yes where you can be a little bit more clear on the timing yeah i guess that's a something i learned from the bond short i guess Mm. how you really have to think about the timing really and like give yourself as much time as possible because things may take longer than you could ever imagine exactly (laughs) whereas with this oil thing there are so many catalysts that it's like if just one of them goes off yeah geez (laughs) <laughs> it's crazy yeah I can put that supply demand balance really out of whack exactly and the supply demand balance being out of whack you know that's what's going to cause the price to move up or down drastically mm. um, and yeah there's a lot more on the sort of like cutting away of supply and pushing up of demand scale than there is the reverse of that yeah um like Russia itself produces like 10 million barrels a day. It was producing 10.5 before the war and now it's producing 9.5. But that gap has just been filled by the SPR. 
Mm. So as Russia has cut its oil um, exports and production, Biden was like, all right, well, we'll feed, feed our reserve to fill the gap to, you know, I don't think anyone doubts that it's totally to do with politics. Like the SPR is going to stop, which is the government's petroleum reserve. It's going to stop feeding into the market like a month after the election. Oh, wow. You know? Go figure. Crazy. Just a coincidence? Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like one month after the election, it's going to stop. So what we're looking at is towards the end of the year, you know, when you've got winter in Europe, which is not something that's a usual usual thing. Like it's not every year that the gas price is so expensive that Europe might have to actually switch to burning oil for power to generate heat. So that's like a total source of demand that, you know, isn't there usually. Mm. Um, yeah, what else? A lot of stuff. Um, yeah, so you've got China possibly reopening. Yep. Um, we've got all countries basically just have about 60 days. Pretty much. At most worth of oil yep. in, in storage. storage. Yep. So um, if, if China does come back online, that could add, you know, a million barrels a day to demand. Yep. Um, supply side with the hurricane in the US. Yep. Um, that could, again, reduce the amount of supply. Like everything is kind of on supply getting restricted. Yeah. Demand going up. Exactly. Around the same time of year. Exactly. So, so you know, not, not that it's a guarantee that the price is going to increase a lot, but there's also other factors like OPEC, for example. Like OPEC has said that, you know, if the oil price continues going down, they're going to cut production. Like they're going to force the price to go up because they don't think that that's a high enough price, you know, that justifies them pumping as much as they do. And like, that's probably a lot to do with their own government budget being stretched with inflation. Like every country is going to want to maximize the amount of money coming in from their, you know, from their assets to pay for their government expenses. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty, pretty crazy supply demand imbalance situation and some we're doing a lot of research on. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But we haven't invested in any oil equities yet. So we have got positions in, um, you know, 3X ETF and some options positions. But yeah, we haven't bought any oil stocks yet, despite them all being really cheap. Like they're all, you know, on very low multiples and they're all going to buy back stock and they're all paying dividends and they're all in pretty good financial condition. But at the end of the day, like if the oil price spikes and then goes back down to 60 or 50, because we are in a massive global recession, then like, I don't really want to be owning those stocks. You know what I mean? Like the it's future not... is just too hazy for the long term for, for us. us. Yeah. We yeah. can only really maybe see three to six months out or have any idea yeah, what exactly. it might look like anyway. Exactly. But as far as like two to five years out, we have no idea what world we'll be dealing with. So yeah, yeah oil is an absolute geopolitical minefield at the moment. Definitely. And um, a price spike. I mean, even didn't Yellen come out and say there's possibly going to be a yeah. price spike in she oil in December? She said that, yeah. Because she knows that at the very same time that they're cutting off the SPR, Rush, um, Europe is going to be you know, consuming more oil for heat, possibly at the same time as China is starting to reopen their economy mm. and use more. And maybe at that same time, Russia will be trying to inflict maximum pain on Europe and will just cut that, you know, 5 million barrels a day. Because yeah. what, you know, when I was looking at the amount of oil that Europe buys, Germany, Netherlands, Italy, France, they all buy heaps of Russian oil. And like, yes, they do have reserves. Um, but I think that China, um, Russia could very well just sell that oil to China to increase their, their reserves. Like China has a billion barrels, a billion barrels of oil in storage. And if they just bought all of Russia's oil for like a few months... Even if I thought, even if they didn't actually have to move the oil, you know mm. what I mean? Like they could yeah. just, because I, I found it with Russia. Yeah. I mean, China, China has some of Iran's oil in storage mm. for Iran, you know? So obviously there's like a bit of a, um, 
the oil can move without moving. Like they could be paying them for the oil, but it doesn't have to move. So, and India will still buy Russian oil as well. Exactly. So they'll still exactly. find buyers for their oil. They're not really up against a hard wall. No, no. But you've got looking at Europe, who's got you know they are 60, 60 <laughs> days of supply, and that's yeah. and that's it. OPEC is topped out. America produces just enough for itself, and it can't bleed its SPR down any further. Like it's they a, might want to restock their SPR as yeah, well. Yeah, they might be into demand too. Meanwhile, the hurricane might shut down their production. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I guess the um, the alternative, the other side of this, obviously, you know, just yeah. the same argument we have dealt with <laughs> on the bond short comes back again. Great recession, deep depression. You know, no, yep. there's not going to be enough demand for oil because we're all gonna be driving just stop driving anywhere and yeah. stop doing anything in the economy we're all just gonna hibernate tesla's gonna totally convert the whole the world's cars and plane fleet to electric battery it's like it's just it's gonna go from one percent to to 90 percent of vehicles is it <laughs> yeah 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 it just doesn't work and the weird part about this like there's probably there's another question about this later but we think climate change is real and we think it's a serious problem and we wish there was a good, like, easy solution, don't we? Like, Yeah, I thought there yeah. would be one. Honestly, yeah. like everybody else who was too ignorant to really research into it, as soon as you do, yeah, you realise everyone's been ignorant of the problem. We've been voting for it, you know, like we want. We've been voting for people who have... But, yeah, know. but there's no practical plan in reality. So, sorry, we're going to be needing oil for a long time. Yeah. And the only way it looks like we're going to be able to get out of this whole climate change thing is with some new technology that we haven't invented yet. That's kind of the way it looks because the amount of materials and the amount of emissions to be created building all of these like solar panels and wind turbines and stuff, we just don't have the supply at the moment. Like we'd have to have a massive mining boom just to mm. build the stuff. So yeah, yeah. Not, not looking good. No, but... That might be next season. The big oil long. <laughs> the big oil long. I don't know. And yeah. We've just got options, futures for now, but. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's on our radar. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Next question. Matt Hansen. There's a few questions here actually. So nice. what were some of the pros and cons in making your bond short investment public? I think it was mostly just pros, I think, pretty much. Yeah. Um, we're not sure if we're violating the law. <laughs> we haven't heard from ASIC yet. Yeah. We, we heard someone who was in Australia who was, like, putting out podcasts and research, you know, like, got a letter from ASIC, but we have no idea if we're, you know, like, by putting our views out there, we have no idea if we're doing the wrong thing you can't tell like this is not advice like we're just talking about what, 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 we're, we're, doing. what, what we're doing saying so, please don't follow us please don't follow <laughs> us make up your own mind like if you're saying that how can you be i don't anyway. know the, the pro but, yeah <laughs> i think it's just been good too like i just i just like putting my best idea out there and seeing if it gets criticized because i feel like i really am just trying to make sure we do the best thing we can mm. um and if that means that somebody smart sees what I've written or what you've written and responds critically but correctly mm. and we change our mind, like that's... So valuable. I should be paying for that. Like it's so valuable. Um, yeah, it was nothing but helpful because like you did get a, f- a bit of that. Um, a few mm-hmm. people asked a few good questions or sent through more information and, yeah, you know, we changed from HYG and LQD over to TLT. Yeah. So. Macro Alf messaged me privately. He was like, buy bonds. <laughs> when buy bonds, Alf? <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> he never, apparently, I don't know. Everyone thinks he's... He, he was on Team Transitory People. He was on, you know, buy bonds, wear diamonds or something. Or is that Raul Paul? But oh, yeah, God. there was a lot of stuff that... A lot of people who kind of like... He's all right. He's some good stuff. He's all right. Whatever. Yeah. Talks about pizza. Who can hate him? Who <laughs> can hate him? Yeah, but um, yeah, as far as pros and cons of being public, no, I don't think there's been any issues. No, pros, we've learned a lot. Like, if anything, the pros were um, 
we got to see the other side of the argument, yep. which helped so much Sure. because I'm sitting here thinking there's actual legitimate reasons why you would want to buy bonds when yep. they were at 1.9%. And inflation is 8%. <laughs> six months ago. Yep. And, um, and we got to see all of those reasons. Yep. Those reasons were sent to us with charts and graphs and reports and, yep. and it was all bullshit. Like really? Yeah. So when you can really understand the other side of it and you can, there's nothing there. Mm. You can just have way more um, solid conviction because you know more. So that's good. And that's what we feel pretty good about because we know that we didn't sell the position. We didn't close it out because of Twitter scaring us because we thought that there was... One day I just read Kathy Wood and I was like, you know what, love? Like, this is making a lot of sense. Like, you know, (laughs) that wasn't what happened. Like, what happened was that the person who's in charge of what the rates are going to do, Jay Powell, started to say things that, you know, were not really fitting with what he'd been saying before. Mm. And the fact that even, you know, Joseph Wang, who really understands the Fed, has was getting very concerned. That yeah, and basically calling him a Burns. Arthur Burns, you yeah. know. For those who don't know, Arthur Burns was the Federal Reserve Chairman in the 70s. Pre-Volcker, pre Volker. Pre stuffed it up. Pre Volker. Who <laughs> and in the seventies they had, you know, inflation, but they didn't get their rates high enough, so the inflation kept going. And in the end, he got sacked and a guy came in and fixed the problem by, you know, doing the right thing, which is to raise rates like, yeah, higher than inflation. So I heard someone describe Volcker though. Was it Druck? Druck and Miller? Mm, could be, yeah. Describe Volcker as a madman. Yeah. Like, yes, or maybe it was Dalio. Druck. Druck did. Yeah. When he saw him in the 70s on TV, or the 80s, 82, He's like, he's a madman. Yeah. He's going to break inflation. Like, I've never looked at Powell and said he's a madman. No. Like, there's a long way to go. No. To, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. But there's... yeah, he, he, he looked like Arthur Burns and we're like, we're pulling out. We're, we're like, <laughs> oil's coming down. Inflation's going to go off the ball for a couple of months. Yeah. You know, we maybe like we will get a recession. And at the same time, Jay's starting to say things like this. And also, by the way... It's more than half our portfolio. Yeah, we're happy. Let's pull out now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, any cons? I think... I don't think there was any cons. Well, for me, luckily, I had you to bounce concerns off. Because the arguments did get to me at the very beginning, start of the year. The arguments of, like, um, demographics. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, sure. The confusing stuff that I couldn't quite yep. be like, is this legitimate? Like and and you just so you, you've seen yeah. so much of this stuff. You yeah. just know when it to not let it get to you. But yeah. that would have been a con if I was trying to do this by myself and doing this publicly. I never would do anyway. <laughs> but the con would be that that would have rattled me probably. Yeah, I think it yeah, I think the, the reason why, and it rattled me too, like I, it rattled me and then I had to like research it and prove to myself that it didn't make sense, you know, and that like demographics haven't changed to create the inflation. The inflation has been created by too much money and COVID problems and, you know, demographics are a constant force across the economy. So it's not going to be like all of a sudden the demographics are going to overwhelm the inflation and just it's going to come, come down, mm. you know, so... But it took you know took a few weeks to get to that conclusion. Mm. That's for sure. Um, the other questions were: um, Was it helpful to have feedback of others, or yep. was it challenging psychologically? I guess we've answered that. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy the process of being open, or did you feel pressure to keep your conviction during times of doubt? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think we're we're pretty good like that, where we we know that changing your mind is. Yeah, it's just Druckenmiller who's who's so clear about that, isn't he? Like he always talks yeah. about how important it is to, you know, change your mind and he could love something one day and then he could be totally out of it tomorrow. Like that's what happens. And Yeah, so and that he, might sound crazy, but I can understand that because there might be one piece of information that you hadn't seen before that changes yeah, it all. Exactly right, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, and will you be coming to Berkshire 2023? meeting <laughs> possibly let's see how the oil thing works out <laughs> exactly we would love to yeah i think so I, th- I really do want to and we want to do a bit more research on the, the cannabis companies too yeah and sort of look into those businesses and see how they go on so 
yeah, America, a little tour. America would be good. Very good. And we want to see Buffett and Munger while they're still with us. Definitely. If the Queen's taught us anything at all. If the Queen's... <laughs> Time Definitely. is short. So, yeah, maybe. All right. Um, Finlay Smith, your current thoughts on air wellness? Our cannabis yeah. company that's down 90%. <laughs> 85%. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we don't think that it's a permanent loss of capital necessarily yet. That's probably the... No, I just said down. We haven't lost it. No, no, exactly. The, the price is down. <laughs> it's come, it'll come back. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's the situation of the whole cannabis industry is kind of interesting because over the past six months, they've gone from like generating like really good revenue growth, um, generating really good numbers, like 10% growth per year, more than that probably, to the last six months where the revenue has just gone flat and air has been like building out capacity in their business. So they've been spending a lot of money on grow operations and they've been um, investing in stores and all that kind of stuff, which you have to do. Like we've, that's what we've learned from our business is mm. the kind of harder thing about business is you have to spend ahead of growth. Otherwise, when the growth comes, you're kind of screwed. Like you have to get ahead of it. Um, and that just applies in our little business and in massive businesses too. It's the percentages are the same. You have to get ahead of it. So the good thing is that Air has, according to them, they've finished 95% of their capital spending now with what they want to spend. So it looks like financially from what I can make out and obviously cannabis companies, their their financials are very hard to make sense of. So yeah, I spent a lot of time looking at their cash flow and stuff. And I think that by the start of next year, they should be able to be at least cash flow positive so they're not in financial danger. Um, and then they should be able to weigh out this temporary slowdown in revenue, which they've attributed to like macroeconomic factors. But I think it's more to do with um, the huge amount of cannabis that's been produced in California yeah. um, over the past six months. And like the fact is you're not supposed to ship cannabis around the country, but you're not, they're not really taking much of a risk by doing that. So when you get an oversupply in one state, then it's pretty much going to make its way around the country. And even though air wellness is not in California, I'm sure that there's a, a lot of... Their you know, market is yeah. kind of being flooded with Californian weed. Yeah. Through the back alleys. Exactly. Which is really crap. Like. Yeah. Well, it's illegal, you know. Yeah. So. So it can't be a sustainable problem, you would think. Yeah. Oversupply in commodity industries, like, doesn't last forever. And the, the cost and the skill to grow, like, high quality cannabis, like, from our research, is it's very difficult. But whether the people are interested in high quality cannabis or that's going to be something that happens over time. Like we kind of have our own thoughts about the industry. We kind of believe that over the next five to 10 years, the the new cannabis consumer is not going to be somebody who, you know, wants to like roll the joint or do bong hits. Like it's not, that's not who it's going to be. It's going to be in drinks and that kind of thing. And like, we're kind of looking for the, the, the Coke of cannabis because like if you think about what coke is it's just sugar and caffeine um together it's, mm-hmm. it's got a, you know chemistry and it's got a sensation and stuff but that's all it is so yeah i think that over time that there could be easily be the those products that are really really um really fit with the consumer well i guess mm. so that's why it's smart for air, air air's focus is all about the the quality of the plant and really keeping that standard that they've won a lot of awards for their, their kind brand and their lit brand. Um, so if they can maintain that, then and quality cannabis does you know fetch a premium as well. So if they can maintain that and they can stay out of financial trouble, um, and then we maybe get some banking laws through mm-hmm. eventually, then we should be okay. And you know, it is what it is. That's what you do with investing. You sort of you invest in things where there's risk. And when it goes against you, it's got to take it, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you, you feel good about Celle. Oh, I do. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it's tested. Um, if we do hit a recessionary period. Mm. Mm-hmm. But. Definitely. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, okay. So PN value investor. Great to hear your thoughts on any opportunity left shorting TLT further. 
knowing the Fed is potentially aiming for 4.5% and higher in 2023 and which still hasn't been priced in by the market. Yeah, maybe. Like we still have our small position, which is about 5% of the portfolio in the 3X ETF. So like inflation is still really high. And um, if the oil price comes back, that's the funny thing about it, our oil price investment is that if the oil price comes back, then with it is going to come back high levels of inflation as well. So that will continue, you know, the Fed hiking rates and that will continue to like potentially shape people's opinions about the next 30 years of um, what inflation might be, I guess. So it's a bit less bit less certain, but yeah, I think there's still could be something in it. I don't know. It's not financial advice, but <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, we've still got a position, so. Yeah. I definitely think there's still runway in it. I just don't want to be in it with an expiry date anymore. No. Because things can change so quickly. Like even looking at what happened um, with the pound today. Yeah. And um, so fascinating. British eh? bonds. Yeah. Like, so they turn around and start easing straight away. Yeah. Um, and that even affects people's perceptions of what the US is going to do. So it, it drops, the US bonds drop from 3.8 to 3.6 yeah. on what the the Brits have done. Exactly. So like you have no control in no. how sentiment can turn and it's the sentiment that's dictating, you know, if you have the value expi- of what you're holding. If you so. have an expiry, that, that's the problem that we have with exactly. the, the these options investments is yes, you can make these great returns, but it's so hard having a, a deadline, you know, and as it comes closer and closer, as the price goes against you, as it did with us, mm. you know, having to make that decision of do we sell out now? Do we hold on? You, you haven't, that's yeah. what I struggle with the most is there's no like data that I'm aware of that can actually help me make those short-term buy-sell decisions if you are in like a trade like that. And sometimes logic does not matter. doesn't matter. It does not matter what's right. does not matter what the facts are. Yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, I don't like being in those kind of positions. No, I know. <laughs> but, yeah, there's definitely still runway in it. And whoever held, well done. <laughs> Joseph Wang held. Yeah. Wang held, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's He posted his portfolio. I think he's up like 130% this oh. year. I mean that, that that guy should that guy should start a fund after this. I think I think he's got some real skills. Yeah, well, the ability to like fully understand the mechanics behind the biggest central bank in the world. Crazy. Crazy. Um, okay, um, PN Bios investor also asked about shorts on banks such as CBA, um, and we did have another question similar. Um, from Finlay Smith about the Australian NZ housing market. Yeah. Well, the price of a house is pretty much, I think, just the average income and whatever the interest rate is and how much the average income can borrow based on the interest rate. So that used to be 2%. So obviously if you're borrowing and you're only going to make payments of 2% of your mortgage, then that's going to be a much lower payment than now where it's 7% in America. So the 30-year mortgage in America is now 7%. Um, so even though they have a massive housing shortage in America, and we have a massive housing shortage in Australia and New Zealand, ultimately, it's a, people have to be able to afford to pay the prices that people are trying to sell for. Um, so I would not touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, would until, not touch the housing markets no, in Australia and New Zealand? No, until, yeah. until the rates have stopped rising and inflation is getting under control and prices have fallen enough to sort of be in balance with that I guess but um yeah yeah. with with the rapidly rising interest rates and most of our country in New Zealand on variable rates yeah Yeah. we think there's going to be carnage in the housing market but we have thought that about Australia for a long time but there's been no catalyst to push interest rates up like there is now exactly so, and look yeah. again, this is what's incredible about the British um, pound situation is that they're now talking about potentially raising rates 2% in one meeting, 200 basis points, because their currency is falling. Mm. Um, to stop that from happening, they're thinking about raising rates you know, 2%. So, imagine if our currency started to fall faster and faster in Australia, 
and the reserve banks having to make the choice between, you know, do we raise 2% or let our currency fall, which causes like many other problems. So basically you've got to choose between a housing crisis and a yep. currency crisis. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, do you want to be in a situation where you're holding an asset that's a liquid, that's debt financed, that you need to sell to another person? And in Australia, most property investors, the thing to do has always been to you know buy multiple properties on interest only. So it's variable debt mm. and interest only as well. Yeah. And the interest rate is obviously not you know not in your control. And now it's not even in the Reserve Bank's control because the currencies are moving around and that could easily force them into doing something with that. So yeah, we have our CBA um, short because that's like the most expensive bank and it's a small position because I think, like someone on Twitter said, just in, it was a joke, like wasn't serious, but just in, you know, the Fed, the uh, the RBA is easing by buying Sydney apartments, you know, like- <laughs> Off the plan apartments. Off the plan apartments. <laughs> yeah. like, I wouldn't that doesn't even, sound like a joke to me. <laughs> no, like I wouldn't be surprised if at some point the government steps in and starts buying properties, you know, for public housing or something. Like if there's yeah. no, buy, like I wouldn't be surprised. So again, it's how do you short something where the government could step in and change the like dynamics of the the market? I don't know. It's just uh, dangerous, but you, you know <laughs> we have a position. So yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Mark Anderson, what's the plan for investing the bond profit? Yeah. Um, well, most of that went into the oil. Well, about half of it has gone into new things. Yeah. Um, we also have a 3X ETF NASDAQ short position as well. We've had that for about a month now. And we have the... 3x oil ETF long and I think we still have about 35% portfolio in cash so no new stock positions no. at all just just hedges just like protection basically <laughs> trying to protect ourselves basically from what's happening it's like and should that cash be in gold or should it be in cash <laughs> there you <laughs> go question right now should it be in bitcoin oh boy <laughs> the first time yep today that we've ever seen yeah we can see how people will run to that could for there, a safety could there net. be a part to play in in that yeah with with what's happened with the central UK. banks yeah. falling I, di- I just didn't i would have thought a lot of crypto coins would fail this year i didn't think we'd see a currency going that way yeah going that way a big currency yeah i don't i'd be surprised if we you know, we're not going to buy Bitcoin, but maybe calls on Bitcoin, and may and and maybe gold because you know gold has been falling with everything else, um, you know, so that that could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of falling, lovely SSM would like to know how far down do you think the S and P will get to this year? <laughs> like, yeah, no, no idea really, but yeah, we we think if you just do that thing with like bond rates versus the return you get from investing in the NASDAQ as a percentage of like the earnings, then it could be down a lot more than now. But yeah, I'm not really sure exactly on, I wouldn't put numbers on it, but I don't think it's going to be up. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've done one S&P short, but that was, that was like stupid. Two, that was like a year and a half ago. That was so dumb. That showed how little we understood about macro and yeah. The Fed. I know. We were, I think we've said like next time, maybe in like 40 years time, when again, we go through this cycle yeah. and we've got, you know, a government that's going to be, maybe it'll be like the Indian government. The Indian government will be like the reserve government, you know, reserve currency of the world. <laughs> India. And, wow. Well, if you had to pick one, I would pick India. If you had to pick like who's going to be the most economically powerful country in the world in 40 years time. Yeah. Possibly. I'd pick India. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't the think demographics be... look better. Definitely. Great population, great growth, terrible soil situation, <laughs> food situation. They, you know, big population, hard to keep fed and everything and cool. Mm. But as far as, you know, hardworking and disciplined and 
all of those things like for sure india's amazing but there's a there's yeah. a guru looking after that i think don't definitely, have to worry definitely <laughs> but yeah as far as if that happens in 40 years time same situation we won't be shorting anything until the central bank stops printing money yeah. and buying bonds yeah. probably won't be shorting anything i think that's a, probably a good little hint a good ticked up i think so yeah <laughs> Things will go up while the Fed prints money. Yep. Cannot go down. Mm. Um, okay. Mark Durrett mm-hmm. would like to know how to gain exposure to oil commodity prices without supporting fossil fuel companies. That's, yeah, interesting question, eh? Yeah. That's because as people who do think that climate change is serious, and I wouldn't want to do anything that you know, we're not at that stage yet financially, but I would never want to do anything that actively supported oil production helps to produce something that's you know but at the same time we do need to be really careful about how we like transition because if we do it in the in a poorly planned way like it's going to be disastrous for we won't actually be doing it um any better than just using oil yeah we'll just might feel a bit better about it exactly exactly it's not practically achieving anything so yeah I've been reading a book about, um, I think it was called the big switch, big switch. Yep. So that's talking about how Australia could switch from, you know, fossil fuel power to climate change friendly power, you know, like carbon neutral and all that. And the thing about the book is it's like very well argued and full of information. It's really interesting. And I've like really learning a lot reading it, but if Australia has a perfect climate change policy, that's, you know, net zero, it makes absolutely no difference if the rest of the world doesn't do anything. So the idea of like, well, can Australia do it? Like, yeah, we can, we can do it. If we just, if we just put enough. Yeah. Our whole uh, country's a solar panel. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Like I think that if we just took the square meterage of all our roads, which is not very much over the whole planet, over the whole country and um, put solar panels, the equal width beside all the roads, that would be like, we'd be a net exporter of energy, which would have so much energy and we're not even covering covering much, but that wouldn't fix the problem. The problem is a global problem. So yeah, it's interesting to learn about and I hope I come across something that... The question is, if know, we fill all of the middle of Australia with solar panels and plug a big cable in, <laughs> in Australia to the rest of the world, can we power the world? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that was what the numbers say. If we fill, you know, some huge amount of solar panels in the middle of Australia and run cables to everywhere, (laughs) you know, like a generator, then um, that would probably work. But I guess um, going back to the question, you're not supporting fossil fuel companies Mm. by buying stock in them. No. You're You're not changing it. You're swapping ownership with another person. Exactly right. Yeah. Like, you're not changing the outcome for the company at all. And even if you apply that to a massive scale where you say, like, okay, well, a fund manager, if a fund manager buys stock and pushes the, the share price up, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to invest more in production because ultimately they want to have production, have supply equal demand so the price stays, like, somewhat stable, I suppose. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's not like clear to me. I mean, you wouldn't give them more capital to do expansions and stuff but at the same time we just got to be reasonable about how much oil we need to stay warm and you know keep everyone employed while we try and do this you know changeover basically so yeah yeah. and maybe US producers even if they are funded by your capital yeah maybe they do produce in a more ethical way than other countries would which it seems like they do so you know a, a mine uh, on you know, mine in Canada is going to be run a lot better than a mine in this. This Africa. is the problem you run into when you try and apply ethics mm. to investing, mm. and the, like there's so many great. This is where ESG has gone wrong because yeah. you can't just tick boxes and be like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's too just, complex. Some things aren't that simple. No, and when you're playing with you know something as serious as energy, which because we've had it so good for so long, we've always had abundant energy. I don't, I don't even know what it would be like to not have power half the day and, you know, like how that would change things. It'd be pretty crazy. Mm. But maybe like Europe's about to find out what that's like. And that's what scares me because if they, 
people do find out that okay that's what it's like once we start doing things in the ESG way we're, we're going to have power shortages then what's that going to do to people's like long-term persistence to actually solve the problem because this is a problem we have to work on consistently for the next 30 years if we're going to solve it and if you're just causing doing you know like ESG stuff which causes price spikes and you haven't got the renewables ready when you're cancelling the coal and all this kind of stuff like I know people there's a lot of smart people who are who are doing it very seriously but politically it doesn't seem to be the case you know so Mm. very good answers Mm. yeah and that's about it that's about it for the questions yeah the only other one was um how does it feel selling at 3.3 and seeing 30 year at 3.56 today? Terrible. That was from me. <laughs> that was from you. <laughs> I, I wasn't going well with it that day. I think, yeah, that was the first day it started to really turn and spike. And I was like, I knew it. <laughs> Should have held. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like you were on the side of it that, you know, that you were more like, oh, maybe we should hold, maybe we should hold. And so... Yeah, but, but we both That was decided. just emotional though. Because yeah. the logic at the time did not support that argument, which after two days I came around to yeah. and agreed, yes, that's right. So it's yeah. very easy when you have situations like that though to want to wallow in misery for a little bit mm-hmm. and like really you just can't stop thinking about how much money you left on the table. Yeah. And it's just not helpful. You've got to move on. Keep keep focusing on like what you can control, which is the next thing we're going to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks everyone for the questions. It's really good. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see you for season three. Season three. Stay safe. Good luck out there. Yeah. And if you're in Europe, you know, all the best and stay warm. got this far thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed the conversation now if you'd like to become my 22nd or my 43rd follower on twitter links are in the show notes